Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. I hope you've had a great week. And today I have a really special guest. It's uh, Sarah Edmondson, and she's a survivor from the cult of Nexium. And if you haven't heard about Nexium, they've done a couple of documentaries. Well, they haven't done, but there's been a couple of documentaries on them called Seduced and The Vow. And that's how I found out about them. And uh, so let's introduce Sarah. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for getting up so early to speak with me. Ah, that's okay. Yes, it is early here, 6.30 in the morning in Australia and 11.30 a.m. in L.A. You are in L.A., aren't you? Actually, in Vancouver right now. Vancouver. Oh, yeah. And I've just read your book, so I know all about where you live. (laughs) That's right. Thanks for reading my book. I appreciate that. Oh, look, it's called Scarred, and it was a really, really good read. And what I liked about it was I've watched both of the documentaries, and yet there was still new stuff in your book that I didn't know about. Because, you know, sometimes you read a book and you've already seen a film or a documentary and you go, oh, it's exactly the same. But you had so many different little points. And I was like, oh, my God, or aha, wow. You know, great. So. I was hoping that would be the case. There's, you know, the, the vow, which I was very proud to be, you know, a part of um, did such a good job of en- encapsulating the dream of what we thought we were getting into and then our wake up and then our escape so well. But there's, you know, nine hours of footage and we were there for 12 years. So the book to me fills in a lot of that gap, a lot of those gaps for people. From your point of view, it must have been good that the leader, Keith Ranieri, actually documented every single thing because then you had all that evidence to come back to and prove what had happened. And uh, I think I said to you before that um, watching Keith Ranieri, he is a very charismatic man. And I guess the teachings in those early days, I mean, I'd watched both of the documentaries in the last couple of years and even re-watching it this weekend before I spoke to you, I was still getting pulled in to what he was saying and what he was talking about. And, and I actually know what he's already done. So mm-hmm. it's really bizarre that he can still have that pull, even when in your brain, you know, what's happened. Yeah. He's um, he's quite a skilled uh, manipulator. Yeah. And he, he knows how to, um, reach people in their minds Some people there's you know some evidence that he's using hypnosis um and that he's appealing to you know it doesn't work for everybody like some people would meet him and be like ah eh, i don't doesn't do anything but for a lot of people they really at least for me i respected him i had i held him on a pedestal and really admired his mind and his ability to think and put things together I did not find him attractive as other women did, but um, I did respect him for sure. And look, I mean, there's no doubt the way he uh, handles some of his questions, the way he puts them reminds me of some of the stuff I've learned in psychology and counselling. It was a real way of sort of empowering you to answer, but not really giving you an answer that you wanted if you know what mm-hmm. I mean, it was sort of, he right. was, he, he was very good, as you said, at manipulating and making you feel a sense of, he was really interested when, when you read your book at the end, you realize that really the whole thing was been like a pantomime from the beginning to end of him just creating yeah. what he wanted to take advantage of people. Exactly. A hundred percent. It was a setup from the beginning. And many people ask that, like, did he have good intentions and the ego get to his head? No, he was a a sociopathic, narcissistic, um, megalomaniac, sex sex addicted douchebag from day one, in my opinion. And and used the personal development world as the what we call like the honeypot, (laughs) you know, to draw people in and created something of value through somebody who was already experienced, Nancy Selzman, um, teaching goal setting and NLP and and hypnosis and use that world and that structure to create a self-sealing system where he was the authority, where he could not be questioned, where once you were agree, once you agreed to certain what he would call lifts. And I think yeah. I talk about this in my book, right? Yeah. There's lifts that you take people on when you're selling them. There's certain lifts that we all made. And one of them is that we agreed to the authority structure of the ranking system so that the people above us knew better than us, which is one of the red flags that, that I speak of when I'm trying to educate people on what these things look like. If you're entering a, a system where you're, you don't trust your own intuition and you're trusting what somebody, somebody else says, that's a real yeah. problem. 
Well, look, let's let's just go back to yes. before Nexium and <laughs> sorry, Parada- I jumped right in it. <laughs> That's okay. No, that was a really good overview of what happens and and of the character of the guy, I guess. Um, but before you joined Nexium, you you were what were you? I was an aspiring actress slash waitress living in the proverbial basement suite and, um, you know, doing auditions. Technically, I was a working actor, but I also felt like there was more for me and that I had a greater purpose and uh, was looking for more meaning, more community, um, you know, answers to life's big questions. And it was really the I was in the right place at the right time to meet uh, a man I greatly respected. Mark Vicente made What the Bleep Do We Know? Uh, which was a huge film, right? And then it was that big in Australia too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was massive. And I just you know, thought, well, you know, whatever he's doing, I want to do too. And that's really how I how I got involved. He he said, well, if you like my film, you may like this workshop. And I jumped in without researching, and the rest is history. <laughs> and look, I think that's important to point out is that when you did join Nexium, it was about getting the best out of yourself, learning about yourself creating a better life. So it wasn't like you joined some cult where, you know, everybody was in there and all of a sudden you're praising the Messiah or the guru no. at the front. Mm-hmm. It was an actual school that you went to, you learned things, mm-hmm. and yeah. then it gradually progressed into what it progressed into. So it wasn't like yes. you just went in and you were sucked into a cult. I mean, you had years and years of learning and training, and it was yep. an amazing thing to start. It was. And truthfully, like this is 2022, right? And I think about 2005. This is before movies like Going Clear and Wild Wild Country and Buddha Field and all the documentary, Vow even, like all these documentaries that are explaining how cults work and how they operate. 2005, my impression of a cult is white robes, goat's blood, yeah. Shaving heads, drinking Kool Aid, which actually flavor aid in Jones, like in Jonestown, suicide um, massacre. You know, I don't didn't have the education that I have now. You know, if if I had what I had now, as soon as Mark told me about it, I would have been like, eh, red flag, not going to join. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Keith's a humanitarian and the smartest man in the world. Mm, says who? Let me see some credentials. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I did not know what I was getting into. Um, and also, you know, Keith is, you know, even though he's all those expletive, you know, terrible things I just said about him he is quite intelligent. Yeah. And he had studied many things. And one of the things he learned is that you have to you can't you can't just you can't go to the end. Like if someone said, hey, do you want to take a five day program of personal development? And in 12, 12 years, you're going to have the leader's initials seared into your flesh. Yeah. Of course, I'm going to say no. You, yeah. And this is, he actually taught us, it's called line bending. Right. You, 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 you get someone to agree to this and then you get someone to agree to this and you get like, and it's a slow burn. And by the end, you're like, wait, how did I end up, end up babysitting your children? Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like you can get people to do things. I, I mean, yeah. I do it with my kids, right? Like, okay, how about we just do that? You know, how about we just go brush our teeth and next thing you know yeah. that they're in bed, right? Yeah. So, but the question is, it comes down to intent, Right. And we believed that Keith had good intent and that all the things that we did were for our own good and for our growth and for our development. And there are certain things that you get people to agree to yeah, from the beginning, such as like, do you agree? No pain, no gain. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, you got to pay to play. You, yeah. if, if you're going to be and you know this, I'm sure the people you've talked about, if you're and there's truth to this, if you're going to grow through some shit, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. But he also on day one of the five day taught us that if we feel uncomfortable and we're going to, he preempted us when we talk about certain things, you're going to want to leave. You're going to want to eat. You're going to want to smoke. You're going to want to flirt all the things that you do when you're uncomfortable. We all have different things. I shop, you know, (laughs) some of them are healthier. I go to yoga, but like some of those things we're going to want to do. And he's saying, just stick it through. Like, Oh, like stay, stay and get your money's worth essentially. And basically what he had us do from the beginning is override our gut instinct that something wasn't right. Yeah. And that's what I did. I was like, this isn't right. This isn't good. I don't like the sashes. I don't like the bowing. I don't like that. We're calling him all of the things that people would say. It's so obvious that it's a cult. Well, we know that now, but those things were all explained away very, very easily. 
you know, yeah, we wear a sash. I know it's weird, but it's like martial arts. And listen, my son's in Taekwondo now. Like, had I been, in, had I had, I don't know, I didn't have my son when I started, but I could explain that when I taught the class. My son just got his yellow belt. It was so good for his self esteem. I'm wearing a green sash. It means a lot to me. I know to you, it's just a piece of fabric, but stick it out. It'll make more sense to you. So, all of those things had explanations that made enough sense that you kind of, okay, well, I feel uncomfortable with that, yeah. but I'm just going to stick it out in a way that, like, you know, if I came to your house, and I'm wearing nice shoes with my outfit. And you're like, yeah, we don't wear shoes here. I'd be like, oh, okay. I guess I got to take off my shoes. <laughs> but I would do that for you, right? Yeah. Out yeah. of respect. Yep. So there was a lot of things like that right from the beginning that you kind of go along with. And, I, you know, look, I got to get your money's worth too. Like you paid a lot while, of money. When, while we're here, can we explain yeah. to the listeners what the sashes were? Because I know in your book, you said that in the beginning, like you just said, then why do I want a sash? I don't like the sash. It doesn't look good on me. But then as you get further and further in, the sashes become more important, don't they? And I mm -hmm. guess that's a really good hook because once you start getting in and start getting your stripes on those sashes, it gives you more motivation to work harder to get more, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it, for me, it was actually, I really liked it at first because I thought it was a measurable system of growth. It was based on your skill sets. It was based on your emotional maturity and growth. And it was based on your ability. And the third component was also your ability to bring in people. And Keith's, <laughs> Keith's thing around that was that you can't be successful unless you can um, bring people along with your ideas, which is true. You can't be an entrepreneur. You can't have a business unless you can enroll people into your vision. Right. Yep. So he was using the enrollment recruitment to build his company and to get fresh blood, as he called it. Yeah. As an excuse, that was the excuse, really. But, you know, for us, it was like, oh, we're learning how to enroll. Enrollment is key for success and for growth. And truthfully, there's a point there. But that wasn't for that was it wasn't that's what not why he was doing it. Yeah. Right. Well, well, I mean, if for every enrollment, uh, you know, for, I think the five day course was about two and a half thousand dollars, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if he's teaching everybody to enroll new people and you're all going ahead and you're um, finding friends who want to be enlightened and feel better about themselves and look at their lives in different ways, because this is still in the time when to you, everything is normal. You're just in a training program and learning these new ideas and new ways to think. Yep. Yeah. It's just it, it, everything becomes normalized. And it's even, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but like if you look to current day times there it, right now, there are still people who believe that Keith is good and that the world didn't understand what he was trying to do and are still trying to normalize all of these things, including branding. But like branding is something that people do in fraternities and sororities. And it's it's just something that people do to the point where Nippy and I on our podcast, a little bit culty, did an episode on sororities and how culty they are, because just because wow. they do it in sororities doesn't mean it's OK, <laughs> you know, and also in sororities, they don't put the, the leader's initials on no. people's bodies. They put a symbol and this was not a symbol. It was Keith's initials and and they lie to us about what the symbol was. So. The point is, is that like you can take every single point and find a reason or find a, you know, an excuse to, to make it somehow. OK, but when you put it all together, it's 100 percent a cult. <laughs> you can't yeah, deny yeah. it. Yeah, and, no. and look, as you say, I mean, he had a way of being able to talk to you in a way that made it feel like, yes, this was OK. And, you know, you might have been because in your book, you start to wander away from different points and start to question them. But you're not allowed to question anyone about them, because if you question it, then you're you're not a real believer or you, I can't remember what the word was, but, you know, so in other words, you're suppressed so much that you can't ask anything about what they're doing, but yet you're just supposed to follow along blindly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it's Nippy and I were just talking about this the other day. My husband is named Nippy for those who don't know. Um, but just how like pe people had asked that, like, are you, were you taught to not question, but it was almost like, you know, in a, in a hierarchy, it's it's the same thing I would imagine is in the military. Like, it's just not done that you say to your higher up, like, but why are we doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you just don't. And and the people who do get canceled, you know, they wouldn't call that, but they get shunned or they get ostracized or, you know, when they're not around, they get made fun of or they get, um, you know, 
somehow there's some punishment. And so you yeah. learn very quickly what you do, what you do and you do, don't do. And one of them is you don't question authority because that means in this framework that you're what they called suppressive or, um, you know, they, or in this case, you have authority issues or like that you're being defiant, you know, and you don't, you don't want to give them anything no. <laughs> to, you know, because to, also to, you yeah. still want to progress in the company. So yeah. you, you want to take on board what they're saying, but in, in, in the back of your mind, you're questioning some things, but you know, you've got no one to talk to because most of the people in your, in your group are part of Nexium. Correct. Which makes it hard because then I guess if you speak, speak to someone outside of that, like a family member or a friend mm -hmm. who's nothing to do with Nexium, you're, you're also concerned that they're going to start putting Nexium down and go, oh, well, I've heard this is a cult. And then you're on like, no, 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 it's not. This is a training program and I'm learning, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. So, you know, yeah. you're, you're in a catch 22 of trying to yeah. defend it, but then also trying to question it. That 100%. In fact, I've learned from an incredible um, cult expert that you may want to interview if you want. I can connect you. Her name's Alexandra Stein, and she wrote a book called Terror, Love, and Brainwashing. Yeah. And one of, one of the key things is, is making sure that you're isolated away from other people that you can have those conversations with. And truly, I somehow managed to maintain a foothold in a community outside of Nexium, which I think is how I was able to wake up so quickly when I did. Now, granted, yeah. I was very indoctrinated and went very far down the rabbit hole and all those things, but I have friends who are still in it and still believe Keith is innocent. And like, they can't, they cannot wake up because they're so entrenched. They don't have any connection with the outside world where people would, could say to them, like, have you really thought about this deeply? Like, have you have you researched Keith's background? Do you know his credentials? Do you know what the checklist is of a cult? You know, like they won't even have that conversation because the people that they keep in their lives who may not be, you know, part of Nexium, would never question them. Just like, just like I had many friends who for many years would be like, well, you know, I think Sarah's in a cult, but she seems happy. So who am I to say? And I think you bring right. that across really well in your book is that throughout the whole book, there are times when you're questioning and uh, like when they want to do something and you're sort of like, ah, no, I might miss this one. And you know that you're going to get reprimanded, I guess, for not doing something. But then mm -hmm. you were bringing in a few more members anyway. So that sort of worked in your favor that you didn't have to do everything and you could take your time away, but then you mm. were still in it. So I think that's where, as you say, you were able to break away a bit easier, but I guess some of those people that are in there and that becomes all consuming because that is their whole life, their whole friendship circle, their whole family. Right. Then to be told that Keith is a um, needs to go to jail because of all these crimes he've done, he's done. They're probably still trying to process what's going on, aren't they? Yes, I'll, yes, and also many of the people who still are loyal were all students of a program he created called the Knife, and okay. the Knife again so brilliant on his part. It was a was a whole was supposed to be an ethical media company. And the idea was that they would, they analyze the news. So they take like BBC, Al Jazeera, you know, CNN, whatever, and would look at how those news sources would slant or give bias or whatever to facts, yeah. you know, and ultimately what it came down to is that you cannot trust anything because there's, it's been politicized. And, and, and here, here's the thing. I agree with that to a degree. I don't know what news source to trust. I can see the slant. I can see the bias. I can see it. But the problem is, is because of that, everything that came out of my mouth after I left was analyzed through that knife system. And yeah. they, they, they don't believe me, you know, or not just me. Like there's many, many victims of Keith Raniere. I just happen to be a target because I'm public, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I'm, you know, I wrote a book, therefore I must be profiting. So therefore I cannot be telling the truth. Like, you know, so there's a whole um, preemptive system that he set up that his loyalists won't even, not only do they not trust the media, they won't even consume it because yeah. if they consume it, they're supporting it. And that yeah. is unethical. Yeah. So that is a that is a framework that he set up to protect himself. And here's another thing he did, which is so brilliant. Separate from the media, he set it up so that if you were to say anything negative about him or the company, it would be called what's called speaking with dishonor. Right. And and I did I talk about this in the book? It's been a while since I, I, since I, I can't remember it. that bit. Okay. So basically, it's like you know, if we have a, if we have it, let's say you want to interview somebody who you know that I know. You know, yeah. um, so let's call him Bob. And and I like speaking dishonorably would be like, you know what? 
he's kind of a lazy fucker and um, you're not going to get him to commit to a time and I wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, that would that would be like an, an, an a dishonorable way of speaking about dear Bob. Yeah, More yeah. honorable would be like, well, Bob um, has some issues with time and his, you know, yeah. <laughs> struggle, you know, like it, you can say it nicer, right? You can say it in a way that uphold. this is the Nexium term, upholds the person. Yeah. You can uphold the person in your transmission of the negative data. Okay. So really it's set up that you can't express any negative data or opinion about somebody because then you're speaking dishonorably. So like he protected himself from anyone ever shit talking him or anybody else. Gossip was highly frowned upon. Yes. Right. So then you're like sitting on these things that like, sometimes you need to, sometimes you need to like, like, then you need to voice them and actually just cut to the end of the story for a second. One of the most healing things for me is to be able to get together with former members and like literally talk shit. Yeah. So to be able to talk about like, you know, how mean Nancy was at times, like she was really awful to us in a very abusive, not physically, emotionally way. Yeah. And, you know, to if I would, I never would have said that to anybody because that would have been anti-tribute, anti, it would be suppressive, it would have been speaking with dishonor. So you sit with all this stuff and it's like, it's really unhealthy. And that's what I was just going to say when you were talking then. I mean, there seemed to be, and I guess this is something that a lot of cults have as well, is that there is so much there are so many rules and regulations that you have to live by, what you can say, what you can't say, who you can talk to, who you can't talk to. And so, I mean, just having that in your head all the time of all the things you can and can't do must have made you feel unwell. Yeah. Yeah. I was incredibly stressed and I didn't know it. You know, I, 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 I didn't know how not free I was until the shackles were, were removed. And then I was able to, you know, even just clear my calendar of the recurring events that I was obligated to attend on, you know, conference calls and the monthly trainings we had to be in in Albany. And, you know, like you said, I couldn't tell people what was really going on. There's this term in in, um, multi-level marketing and which is also a type of cult, in my opinion, um, of toxic positivity, you know, like, how are you? Everything's great. Like my life is so great. <laughs> you know, you can't say, no, I'm really <laughs> shit right now because then the tools don't work. Yeah. You have to be a walking ambassador for joy on a stick uh, wherever you go. Yeah. Right. Oh, definitely. And look, that toxic positivity. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, so, so you really, you were just wearing a mask most of the days because yeah. you weren't allowed to think freely about what you wanted to. You couldn't question anything that was said to you. You couldn't gossip or even make comments about someone else in the group. That must have been really hard to live by. I, I guess for you, the, the, one of your best decisions was not moving to Albany, but to, mm-hmm. is it Albany where they all yes. were living? Yeah, mm-hmm. but staying sort of in your own area because at least you were getting away from it, whereas those people were all, even though living in their own condos, were still all in the same area where they could be in contact at five minutes' notice. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we had a what we called the crash pad that we rented there. Um, and it was actually a, a fight that Nippy and I had that he wanted to be away from the community. If we were, you know, where we didn't move there permanently, but we had a place we stayed. And I really wanted to be, if I look if I'm, I'm going to go to Albany, I'd like to be able to walk to my, na- my neighbor's house and, you know, yeah. spend time, but he won that fight. And I'm so glad he did. Cause again, it kept us slightly removed and not, you know, not in a position where someone could just come knocking on our door and check on check in on us. Okay, so Nancy Salesman, you just said she was a bit weird. In any of the videos I've seen, she almost reminds me of, and this isn't against anyone who's into religion, but sort of, I don't know, like a Sunday school teacher type of person, like what you're saying with toxic positivity. She always seemed to have this massive smile on her face and telling everybody how great they were and how much they were family and stuff like that. What was she like as a person, like? You did get on well with her for a while. I did. You know, I felt conflicted with her. Like she, and now I understand what the process of abuse was, is that when I felt close with her, it was because I was love bombed by her. Yeah. You know, and she really tapped, whether it was conscious or unconscious, I don't know, but she was, she was very, she very much made me feel like I was family and that I was special and that I was, 
I mean, in, and in some ways I wasn't your average student because I was so gung ho from the beginning and I really clicked with the material and thought like, you know, I'm going to bring this to Canada in, in the same way that, you know, I loved the, the Girl Scouts when I was seven, like I brownies, they call it here. Yeah. Um, you know, I am a leader. I was a, I was a camp counselor. I, you know, I'm when I was a little girl, I was, they called me bossy. You know what I mean? Like I, I have a certain propensity towards it, like holding the clipboard and, and organizing the troops. And this was a place that I, I saw myself doing it. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be a facilitator. I wanted to have all my friends go through the curriculum. Later, I was taught that those are the kind of people that you're looking for because you want the thing to grow. So Nancy saw that in me and put a lot of love and energy and attention into me. But she also was very difficult, you know, and it was confusing because we'd get in trouble for very strange things. And so there's also the sense of like walking on eggshells and like being observed at all times because anything that you said or did could be used against you. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, when you were at some of the trainings, it said mm -hmm. that, um, you know, if you were to be eating, I guess, in an auditorium or a hall where someone was speaking, it was frowned upon. You had to go outside. You weren't allowed to do anything while someone higher than you was talking. Well, eating in a training room was frowned upon because that would be an indication that you were covering up your discomfort with food. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that would be like, it just wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> so you had to like, give your 100% yeah. attention while you were in there. Yeah, everything was a cover up, but it was also confusing because like Nancy drank so much coffee and we were also like we were taught that you like you don't want to be dependent on any substance like drinking alcohol, you know, any kind of drugs was hugely frowned upon. So but I was like, but Nancy can't function without coffee. So like, what are we teaching here? So there's so, there's, yeah, so many inconsistencies from the beginning. Different rules for her. Yeah. OK, so you've been in there for, say, five, six years. Are you already at green? level by then because what was no, uh, it was no, white yeah. yellow I was white yeah I was white for about four years no sorry I was white for for less than a year I was yellow for about four years so I was a coach which is an internship most people yeah. never get past coach um I think it's like one in one in ten become a coach and one out of ten of those become a proctor proctor's orange and orange is where you can start to earn a living and I was yeah. there for hold on wait one two three or five, six years. And then, yeah. And then I was green for the last two years. So, and I, I they actually gave me green, a green sash. Uh, it was called senior proctor, which again, only one out of 10 of those proctors become a green. And when I was, when I left, I'm when, I want to say there was somewhere between 12, maybe 13 or 14 greens in the whole company. Wow. So it was a very elite group that I got to. And I thought I was like in the inner circle, but I wasn't in the inner circle because the inner circle were all sleeping with Keith. Yeah. And do you think right. um, so. do you think it was actually really based on how well you performed or do you think that they just sort of went, uh, no, at the moment, we're going to keep Sarah back a bit because maybe we'll get her to work on this first and then we'll promote her so that you're always eager to try and get to that next spot? Because it seemed in yeah. your book that, you know, you waited a hell of a long time to get from one to the next and it seemed as though they were using that to get you to do more work for them to prove yourself in a way. Yes, 100%. I mean, it, it definitely was both. Like there were certain things that you knew that you could achieve. Like, you know, if you had enrolled a certain amount of people, you'd hit that benchmark. If you could teach a training, like the 16-day training, then you could earn X stripe. But the part that was nebulous <laughs> was your emotional maturity and your emotional growth and working through your issues. So yeah. if I have a particular issue that I that I'm working on. And then I feel like I've worked through it. It's up to your coach to decide if you've really worked through it. Right. And the, and the more that you say, no, I've worked through it, the more it proves to them that you haven't worked through it because you're attached to working through it. Yeah, so yeah. you have to like maintain this kind of like what they called not vested. Like if you seemed vested in any way, in other words, you need it, yeah. then you would never get it because you're yeah. attached. So it's yeah, just yeah. head fuck. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that would drive you mad because you, you, you know that you've proven all these things and you've done all these things, and yet you're still just waiting there for them to make a decision on what, when it's going to happen. And you can't actually ask them about it because then you're thinking too much about yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I, you, just, you just reminded me of something that I, don't, I haven't really thought of for a long time, which is 
if somebody was ready, one thing that we would do is give them feedback on something. Yeah. And to see how they handled the feedback. Yeah. And if they got defensive in any way, then they weren't ready to be promoted. And it's, and sometimes the feedback wasn't even true. Wow. Yeah. So really the response you had to learn was the, the only response would be, wow, thank you so much for that feedback. I, I will think, you know, I'll think on that and journal on it and work on that with my coach. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Wow. <laughs> Even if you were like, what the fuck? That's not true. <laughs> You know, no, I'm not blah, 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 whatever it was. Like, I remember somebody once giving me feedback that I was angry about something. And I'm like, I'm not angry right now. She's like, but you look angry. I'm like, well, now I'm fucking angry because you're all up in my face. You know, I wasn't angry before. Get out of my face. I'm telling me what's going on inside of me, you know? And the, and the response to that was this ultimate gaslighting. All feedback's valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 you were in such a catch-22, wasn't it? And it was like yeah. they were working on micro emotions. They weren't even trying to get you angry or um, happy. It was like little tiny things they do or say to see what your reaction would be. And then that was their way of controlling you because if you handled it in a way that they said they did, that wasn't good, then you were cast aside and had yeah. to wait. So basically you had to be obedient. Yeah. It was like you had to be put on the naughty step and then they'd let you off when they thought they, that you were ready for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so so I, I wanted to ask you one thing as well, because uh, when I was watching The Vow, they said about that Keith was curing Tourette's, but I never actually saw the end. Maybe I needed to, because I, I was watching through the second time, mm -hmm. maybe that was explained, but was there mm -hmm. ever a cure for Tourette's? Well, um, this is still a point of contention with people. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. Okay. I, I think that, you know, a lot of people work through a lot of things legitimately because there were some legitimate therapy tools that yeah. Keith stole from other modalities. And like, really, from my understanding as a not doctor, what Tourette's is, is that like you have this itch that you need to itch and then you itch it. You know, you have this feeling that you need to follow through on an impulse. Yeah. And the way it was taught to us in Nexium is that in many ways, we all have Tourette's. It's just more manageable. We have like the, the urge to eat the cheesecake and then we eat the cheesecake. You know uh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we were ultimately all training to like rewire ourselves, you know, and to, and to deprogram or defrag certain patterns that didn't serve us. So like if I have a pattern of getting really angry, when I get feedback, for example, I can, unhook that pattern through a process. Yeah. So really what these people were doing were unhooking the pattern of needing to itch the itch. So yeah. they learned to override those things. So they went from being like ticking, like, you know, hitting themselves or swearing, yeah. you know, Mark was one of the Therese guy and he used to just be like, you'd see Nancy and be like, bitch, 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 you know, or slut, slut, you know, like he had a, he had a verbal tick, yeah. right. Very problematic. <laughs> and then after some years. I don't remember how long he, that goes away. And so now he's like, wow, my Tourette's is, my Tourette's is cured. And they decided to do this study and they invited a bunch of people and there's a beautiful documentary. And I remember when I was in, I'm still indoctrinated in Nexium. I thought, wow, it's so beautiful that we have this, you know, proof that we can help people. Like, look, we've helped people so clearly through their Tourette's and, you know, I'm in touch with some of those people now. And many of them have gone backwards. Like yeah. they're basically, they, they can't override the impulse anymore because yeah. they were kind of, from what I understand, just in the same way that I was suppressed to like have a toxic positivity, they were suppressed. Like they had to like override their Tourette's for the study, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're like trying to be good. And all of a sudden when that falls apart, they're like, wait, I'm still ticking, you know? And, yeah. and so a lot of them are really tra actually quite traumatized. Um, there's one person who remains who's one of, still loyal to Keith. And he says, no, the tech works. The tools work. It cured my Tourette's. Keith is good. I mean, I don't really know. One thing I, one theory I do have is that I remember when I was also still in, I met somebody with Tourette's on the plane and he was in his sixties and he had really bad Tourette's. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, do you have Tourette's? But I want to introduce you to this woman who's who's had a cure for Tourette's and we're doing a study. And he wouldn't even meet with Nancy because he's yes. like, there's no way. There's no way. You cannot change who I am. It's neurological, blah, blah, blah. Now, that's really interesting. He doesn't even believe he could change. 
And all of the people that went to do the study believed they could change. Yeah. Right. Just like me, I went to do a personal development program. I believed I could change and I wanted to change and I paid $2,000 and I'm going to prove to the world that I could motherfucking change. You know what I mean? So there's an element of that. The people that were dragged to Nexium by a spouse who didn't want to be there, they didn't change. No. They didn't get anything out of it. They thought this is a load of shit because they were right. Yeah. Right. So like there's a, there's a affirmation bias. Is that the name of it? There's a term in psychology that, that is proof of this phenomenon, you know, you pay your money, you want to get your money's worth. You're going to make it work yeah, in your head, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. So that's my theory. It's a long, yeah. long answer. No, no, no. But that's good because, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm of the belief that Tourette's can't be cured. They're, they're trying to, they're trying lots of different ways and it would be amazing if they could. However, it just seemed so unbelievable that Keith had come up with a way of curing Tourette's. And I only saw the bit where this person had gone from having Tourette's to not. And I thought, well, what, time scale is that over right yeah, yeah. so yeah. i i guess if you had to say two things that were positive from nexium what would mm-hmm. they be i met my husband and i've got two beautiful children yeah that was exactly <laughs> what i thought last night well, i yeah. thought of the question and i went because there must be something positive but yeah i mean yes. that's it yeah and i'm strong as fuck bulletproof yeah. I've been through the ringer. <laughs> like nothing worse could happen to me now. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I, and I also, I also feel like in many ways I achieved my purpose. Like now I just get to do things that bring me joy. I don't, ha- I don't feel the same. Like I have to fulfill my purpose. My purpose is done. Yeah. I came, if you, this is a spiritual approach, which I, you know, I, I, I'm going to steal from someone who is a guest on our podcast, Alice Gretchen, who's a former fundamentalist Christian. And she says, you know, I'm, I'm like a curiously spiritual atheist, (laughs) you know? So like, I'm, I'm curious about the world and I'm sort of spiritual, but not in any denominational weird culty way. And I still believe that people have a purpose. And I believe that my purpose was to be a bright light to like bring a ton of people to Nexium and then bring it down and, and expose this guy. And now it's done. So I can just live my life and do things that, bring me joy and, and, and highlight that purpose and be a good mom and help other people heal. And, and that's a brilliant thing to do. And that's why when I first uh, we connected, I said to you, you know, I've, I think you're a very inspiring, uh, incredible individual because not only did you go through Nexium and come out the other side, you were also the whistleblower who stood up and spoke about what had been happening. And I think we should actually have a bit of a chat about that. But before we do, can we just go over Jeunesse? Mm Because Jeunesse was a women's only group. Was that something you had to pay to be in or was it a voluntary thing? And this Mm -hmm. is where the title of your book comes from. Yeah. So Jeunesse was introduced a year after I joined. It was a membership, like a women's club. It was $50 a month. And For that, you got together in a group called a friendship and you made a friendship based on interest. So like it was an acting friendship and a mom friendship and a business friendship. And you discuss a set of questions every week. And then once a month, you'd get together and read what was called, originally it was the debrief and then it was called the disquisition because <laughs> they found debrief to be too male. And the disquisition wow. was basically like a summary of the questions. So you, you'd talk, the question sets would sound something like, how do men and women view and handle sex? How do men and women view and handle love? How do men and women view and handle fidelity? How do men and women view and handle loyalty? And you'd have these conversations. And at the end of the month, you'd have a debrief or disquisition about those topics. And that's where the indoctrination trickled in over time. And it was a lot of truisms at the beginning, a lot of sort of cliches about like, you know, women are emotional and men are logical. And, you know, here's the tendencies. Here's this, here's the spectrum of like, if you had the most male, male and the most female, female, what are those tendencies? What is the essence, you know, the maternal and the nurturing, and then like the character and the loyal and whatever, like those, they start to like develop these extreme gender stereotypes under the premise of let's explore our wiring and what we were downloaded with and figure out how to evolve as a species. That was the sort of the premise. But in that discussion was an indoctrination, just like with Nexium. There's like what we thought we were doing, personal development, and what it actually was, a system of control to 
help Keith get his needs met, you know. And now as you're saying about Jeunesse, yeah. it actually sounds as though almost like Keith is sitting there typing out these questions so that then he can get all the data and then put it together for what he wants to do in the future. Yeah, he's got, and he like, you know, did a bunch of probably research of, of other books and, um, you know, there's tons of things like this out there, you know, men are from, what is it? Men are from Mars and women are from Enough Venus. From like Venus. there's, yeah, like there's a, there's lots of data and, and theories out there about gender. Um, and basically he pulled from sociology and religion and like, you know, a lot of it was based on what's the primitive background of a woman and a man, like the man's out there hunting the mammoth and the woman's at home in the cave. And she's learning how to multitask because she's stirring the pot and she's breastfeeding and sewing the leather loincloth or whatever. Like, Mm. so that's why women are good at multitasking. Okay, great. That makes so much sense. Then I'm not going to be mad at my husband when he can't fold laundry while he's on the phone. Like (laughs) I, you know, that's a really helpful nugget, right? If that's a problem in your relationship, but then it's also, and that's why men are designed to spread their seed, because if a woman has another man's baby, then she's kicked out of the cave. So women are designed to be monogamous and men are designed to be non-monogamous. And then there's a slow indoctrination of like, OK, so that's men's design. But are we going to be OK with that? You know, like it's anyway. So, yeah, that's you know, there is elements to Janessa I really like. There's elements I didn't like. It got more extreme over time, but ultimately it was the foundation for what we would later find out as DOS. And yeah. that's a whole other, I realize it's almost an hour and that's the DOS story is like a whole other episode. <laughs> so, but like people can read the book or watch the vow if they want to. Know and more about that's DOS. what I think yeah. they should do because mm-hmm. I, I think um, you've given a, a great overview of what, what things have happened with, uh, with Nexium. And I think there are parts that uh, are important for people to read also, because I think when you read it, you can uh, imagine as you wish what's happened. Whereas sometimes talking about it, people can listen and go, oh my God, you know, which is good. But I think if they read the book, like last night, reading that last couple of chapters, it was, it was just so, it just made you feel as though you were there with you watching what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I mean, I I think you should say about the, the scarring that they did to you, the branding, because it was just, it, it takes it takes a cult to a new level, doesn't it, where they have to brand you in such a way. I mean, even if they tattooed you, you could have gone over the tattoo, whereas with what they did to mm-hmm. you, it's really hard to ever cover that up. Mm-hmm. And just to let you know and your listeners know that um, I had my I actually had plastic surgery on it and had the wow. whole thing cut, cut off my body, literally right. um, a, a, a if you imagine an eye shape around the square of the brand yep. and then they just closed it. Wow. So it, now I just have a line. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Cause I, I did, I mean, I spent years of, and so much money on oils and scrubs and different therapies to make the, the lines flat and eventually white, but you could still see KR when you looked in the mirror. And I just didn't want that it's for obvious reasons on my body. No. And now you you never even notice like it's so faint. It's lighter than a cesarean scar. So I did what I needed to do there. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I can't imagine you being there um, and having to go through that. And you've been told previously that you would probably all have a small tattoo put on you. And then you walk in and there's someone there with uh, I don't even know what those things are called. But is it like a laser burner? That it's burns? a cauterizing iron. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I can't, I, I can't, I can think that a man, not that I could think this, but a man could come up with something like that and probably do that. But the fact that you were all women in that room and none of the other women said to you, you shouldn't do this, it shows how indoctrinated to Nexium that you all were, that you had to go through with this to prove who you were to be part of this women's movement. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, because if if I was to say to you now, okay, we're going into this room and we're going to put a, a branding on you, you'd go, no fucking way. You know, you're mm-hmm. not touching me with that. But because you had the belief system and you were working, was it also that were you a slave by then when you had that yes. done? Yeah, I was already, I, I'd already taken a vow of obedience to Lauren as my master, yeah. which 
at the, to me, when she told me that was one of the agreements is that I'm like, but what am I like? What kind of thing? She's like, all things that are for your growth. I'm like, are you going to tell me to rob a bank? She's like, of course not. I'm going to tell you things that like that I think you should do in the same way I would as your coach, which was already a system set up in Nexium, but now you have to do it. And so I'm, I'm holding you accountable. Yeah. Right. So that's what I, I had agreed to. I had agreed that whatever she said, I would do. And under the pretense that it was like a higher level of a coach. And in this group as well, you had to provide collateral to show that you would keep everything secret. You wouldn't talk about it. And if yeah. you did, they would release photos of you naked mm-hmm. or, um, and, but then it came to the point where she wanted you to sign, sign over the deeds to your apartment mm-hmm. as collateral. Yeah. I mean, this is some crazy yeah. stuff. And that was almost your, mm-hmm. that was your awakening moment, wasn't it? That was one of them. Yeah. Um, I see this is where it gets very complicated. And I always refer people to the book, not the vow, because the stages of my recruitment and involvement in DOS were were very specific and very strategic on Keith's part. So it always looked that we were agreeing. But the problem is, is that when he invited us, it wasn't him. It was he got Lauren, my best friend, my maid of honor, you know, the godmother of my my child, that she's inviting me to a woman's group. And before I even hear about it, I have to provide collateral to say that whatever I end up hearing about, yeah. I'll never speak of. Yeah. So she already has shit on me by the time I hear about it. Yeah. Then what she's telling me is that it's a women's group and it's for all these things. She's lying because it's not a women's group. It's a man's personal MLM, multi-level marketing pyramid scheme, spank bank for him to collect yeah. close-up pictures of women's crotches. And that's, yeah. I mean, really what I gave was nothing compared to what some of the other women gave. Other people, other women gave like very intimate close-up photos for him. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> it's just really disgusting. And, and for anyone who thinks it's consensual, it can't be consensual when information is withheld is really all that you need to know. Um, and also when you're yeah. forced to do it. Yeah. Like you have no choice. It's not like you have a choice. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, if you don't do it, I'm going to release these photos of you. Mm. You have to do it because you're already in too far. Yeah. And and then interestingly, I've since learned because so many people contacted me, you know, there's one woman who is an expert because she was um, trafficked. And this is somebody from like an Ivy League school who got caught up in she basically, she got trafficked because she was beautiful and she went to somebody asked her to, to like do a modeling gig. And as soon as she'd given her address for the form to get paid, he started to blackmail her. And basically, if you don't do this, then this, I'm going to kill your family. I know where they live. And then she's now being trafficked as a sex slave to him. And that's as simple as is how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people think of sex slavery as like a woman from Romania in a cage who's drugged. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not that. So. Look, in an earlier podcast where we talked yeah. about uh, child predators, I was saying to the guest then that I'd watched a documentary in America where women are being like taken off the street in New York and then ferried across to L.A., everything's taken off them, they're drugged up, and then they're used as prostitutes. And the people at home don't even know what happened to their child. But it's as easy as it being in the one country. You know, it's not like they're taking them out of the country to Europe. They're just on the other side of the country. And the the poor girl's got no way of contacting her family. And Mm -hmm. so then a new thing happens and people are making money from it. And it's, you know, there's so much stuff that goes on in the world that is just abhorrent. Abhorrent, Uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, it's really and, disgusting. And like what's happened to you, I mean, you you in a way are trusting this powerhouse of a business to help you progress and be better about yourself and think better about your life. And there's your trust with them. And in return, they're doing things like Jeunesse where they're taking advantage of you, coercing you into things that you don't want to do that you would never in a million years do, but because they've brainwashed you into it. And it's it's just a whole different dynamic, isn't it? Which mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever understand. Like I empathize and I'm compassionate to everything you went through, but there would still be questions in my head, but what about this or what about that? Until you go through Mm. something like you've gone through, no one could ever understand how horrific it was for you. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think anyone would. And I remember when I was recovering, which is like, you know, a few months out and the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke. And I remember thinking if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through, I probably would have thought what 
you know, what people say, like, well, why don't she just leave or, you know, don't go up to the hotel room, obviously. Like, no, it's not how it works. Yeah. You're, you're groomed for that moment. You're groomed to be like, oh, this person is very important. It's going to help me with my, you know, like all the things that, that happen. And again, I don't, didn't go through it. I can't fully understand it, but I fully have empathy. And I will always say, you don't know until you've been through it. And part of my journey has been talking to experts, talking to survivors, helping people heal. And all the experts say anyone is susceptible and it may not be to a cult like this, like personal development. It might be to, you know, a therapist that wants to manipulate you. It might be to a partner who will slowly, you know, abuse you over time. Nobody dates somebody who's going to hit them. No. You know, nobody, it, it, it doesn't happen on the first date. And if you can't understand the cult thing, you can almost, almost everyone can understand to some degree an abusive domestic situation. It's the same process, it's the same process of love bombing, grooming, gaslighting, manipulation, you know, the, the denigrating of someone's self-esteem slowly over time. So they feel dependent and then being the person who like both abuses and then provides that person with a, with a place for love and attention and affection. It's, it's a, it's a process. And, you know, I'm very passionate about exposing it. And that's been such a huge part of how I've recovered is like understanding what happened to me and helping other people go through, go through that healing or avoiding it in the first place, which would be ideal. Yeah. And then look, as you said before about the grooming, I mean, it was really a long game. You were there for 12 years and I guess really you didn't start to really notice anything probably until you're about eight or nine years in, or maybe even when Jeunesse turned to DOS, it wasn't like you joined and then there were some red flags. It was sort of, it slowly built up over time. Yes. But I mean, truthfully, there were red flags on day one. I just didn't, I was taught to override them because I'm going to be uncomfortable. That's what I agree to. I agree to working through my shit and that's uncomfortable. So I'm going to be uncomfortable, not recognizing I'm uncomfortable because something didn't feel right. Like it didn't feel right from the beginning, but I was, you know, gotta get my money's worth, (laughs) you know, I got to work. They got to work through my shit. And so that's one of the worst things that Keith did is he dismantled people's internal morality, their conscience and their ability to really think about what they're doing um, on a deep moral level, which is why there's people who are still fighting for the merits of branding as a method of personal development. Go fuck yourself. That's all I have to say. Um, Now, also, there was a couple of people who got sick. One of them was a friend of yours who then passed away. Do you think there's a correlation between what they were, the stress and that, that they were under in Nexium that brought up? Because I think they were all cancer, weren't they? They were all cancer. At the time, I thought there was something in the water in that area. And then as I was leaving, I recognized that a lot of these women weren't okay with what was going on but they were being, you know, head fucked or gaslit into sticking around and specifically Barbara who did try, who did die. She did try to leave. I found out later and she was trying to get out and she had, she had made a lot of money in the company, but she had it all tied up in assets and that was being controlled and they wouldn't give it to her. And she ended up dying in her home on Keith's protocol, you know, and all sorts of sketchy shit happened around that time. I don't know for sure, but I think it's either a combination of stress and, you know, what happens to you internally when you're dying inside because you know what you're part of something that's not good. Yeah. And I believe that some of those older women were like, this is not good. Like this started up as a, you know, I'm in a polyamorous relationship with this man. I really respect. Next thing you know, there's all these other women and we're lying to people like this isn't right, but you can't say it. <laughs> so like no. that's going to eat you up. Right. And some people would say that can cause cancer. I have different theories on it. I personally think that there's evidence to prove that he potentially, allegedly even poisoned them. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, really nothing would surprise me knowing what I know now about Keith. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, look, I've just got one more question. Sure. With all the money uh, that Keith made because there was, I mean, we, we could talk every week for I think the next 20 weeks and we still mm-hmm. wouldn't cover everything that happened in right. this cult. But mm-hmm. there was so much money that went into Nexium, not just from the, the students who went in and paid for courses, but there was money donated by wealthy people. Uh, do you know what happened to all of that money? Are, are you oh, man. and other survivors, are you entitled to get some compensation from what happened to you? I mean, or is it tied mm-hmm. up so hard that you can never find it? I wish I knew. I don't know. I wasn't part of the 
executive board. And uh, I, when I was in it, we were always told that Nexium was broke because of the legal fees, because they're always defending themselves against the allegations that we were a cult. <laughs> so um, I don't know in terms of the money that was brought in by the students. Um, I'm sure Keith has, you know, who knows, Bitcoin or something or money stashed away. I know that when they raided Nancy's house, they found, I think it was half a million dollars in cash and shoe boxes. I don't want to say too much about that, but I will say there is a civil case. And yeah. personally, like for me, it's, I, I would love to get people their money back. You know, I love for people to get at least what they put in and, and get, you know, um, compensation for trauma and for therapy and so forth. For me, it's also more about people being held accountable and apologizing and saying, Hey, this is not right. And ultimately I really want people to wake up and for them there would say, but I'm not asleep. <laughs> um, so I, in other words, waking up means going, Oh shit, Keith is a sociopath. We got duped and I need to move on with my life. I want people to move on with their life. So and to be happy and to have the, you know, have the goals that they set out to have when they join Nexium in the first place. And I'm pretty sure, you know, rooting for a sociopath to get out of jail from 120, 120 year sentence is not their life journey that they need to be on. So it's not so much about the money for me as it is about like ending this. So, And I think also yeah. for the general public who are watching the story, listening to the story, once you get money being paid out as compensation, it, it's it's a head turner for a lot of people, isn't it? It's like, wow, they had to pay $20 million out, $100 million out. Then people go, well, what was this? You know, because there would be people out there that haven't even heard about Nexium and what's gone on. Mm -hmm. But when they hear about dollar amounts then they go, oh, my God, was, is that what happened? You know, and you have to be held accountable. Otherwise, people are going to keep doing this. Yeah. It's got to be, a, there's got to be, a, you have to be, there has to be effects to actions like this. You can't yeah. put people's, you know, a man's initials on a married woman's body and think that, that you're going to get away with that. Yeah. I mean, that was awful. And, you know, he deserves everything he's got because, well, probably and some, because what he created and what he did, whether he did start it out in the first place as a self-help uh, learning thing, it turned into something which was, a really horrific crime affected lots of people. And I'm sure that you're still having therapy now. There are some of the others that were probably closer to him that were sexually abused that may never recover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think that um, his wake has been for decades, decades long, and uh, he's damaged a lot of people's lives. So I, I feel good in my small part of being able to stop it and just continue to shine light on, on what these abuses look like so it doesn't happen to other people. Yeah, look, really well done to you. I mean, mm. coming forward, getting all that out, uh, being the one to stand up and crack this case open for people to find out about. All due, all due respect to you because you. it would have been a lot of pressure on you as well, knowing that you're the one coming out to break this news. Um and I think that could even be just as uh, crushing on you as what you'd been through, because then you've got all the eyes of everybody looking at you going, well, you're the one telling the story. What happened? Mm -hmm. You know, so it that was, was very brave. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it, it was the right thing to do. I didn't really think about the ramifications and what that meant when I did it. It just had to be done. And I'm still feeling the effects of that, but I'm, I'm glad that I did it obviously like it was the right decision. And, um, just have to keep moving on. <laughs> yeah, well done. On, onwards and upwards. Look, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, Thanks for it, having me. It's an amazing story and it's amazing that you've got through to where you are. You're happily married to Nippy and you've got two beautiful children. And I, I guess for people listening and if you are in a cult or you've been in one, you know, there is some sort of happy ending. It's not like that this has to be what you continue to work through for the rest of your life. You can move through it, not necessarily get over it, but you can create another life after it. Absolutely. And if I may point people to my website, where Go I have a resource. It, yes. yeah, I've got a resource page there, sarahedvinson.com slash resources, resources for if you've been in a cult or think you might be in a cult, or if you're getting out, there's the hashtag I got out movement. 
group of us got together, fellow survivors and experts to create an online platform where people to share their stories and blow the lid off the shame that comes with recognizing you've been caught up in something like this. And, and then of course our podcast, a little bit culty.com and we're on Instagram. And that's also apparently very helpful for survivors or people just obsessed with cults. It's all very interesting. And we cover a lot of different cult content and talk to a lot of very interesting survivors and experts, which is very healing for us. And also your book, Scarred, which is also available on Kindle. And Kindle and Audible. And I narrated the Audible. So you can you can hear me yapping away in your ear for nine hours if you so choose. <laughs> oh, and look, it is a really brilliant book. I mean, I read it pretty quickly, but uh, as I said, there was a lot more in your book than there was The Vow. I think reading the chapter about what you went through in Jeunesse was pretty harrowing. So if I found that just by reading it, I can imagine how it was for you. Well, I can sort of imagine how it was for you going actually through it in real life. So well done to you. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. me. And um, I'm sure we'll be in contact in some stage. Well, if you're going to so. be touring here at some stage, I'll come and have a look at the show. I'd love it. Thank All you, right. Daniel. Thank you so much, Sarah. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.